Hey, this is Tolly Wilkins of Captivate Church, and we're so glad you've joined us on our podcast today. This is one way that we can take our message from Baltimore all across the world. We pray that today encourages you, inspires you to become the man or woman that God's designed you to be. So we've been talking over the last couple of weeks heading into this election season, and we've been really talking about uh, the American idols, those things that are uh, unique to us as humans that can be compelled and pulled and tugged against the voice of God. But more importantly, it ends up being tugged in such a way that it divides our, our country. Um, we're supposed to be, as far as it depends on us, a people of peace. We're supposed to uh, love and trust the Lord and love and, and uh, serve our neighbors. And um, the political process that happens, not just in our country, but around the world, when the political process is at stake, power is at stake. And those with power look to our hearts and they say, how can I uh, manipulate, twist, turn, or pull that person's heart towards my vote? And so we thought that, you know, in this month leading up to an election, that we would really uh, investigate our hearts as it relates to uh, our actions, and, and in this case, in our, our voting. And uh, so if you followed along, my wife told me uh, a week or two ago, she's like, Tolly, hearing you preach, I have no idea. She was like, I'm your wife, and I have no idea uh, what your, your political thoughts are. And I was like, that's perfect. That's good. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, that doesn't matter. Um, at the end of the day, if I was in a different country, um, the donkey or the elephant really wouldn't matter. I mean, it would look really kind of dumb in, an, in another country, right? So uh, as a kingdom citizen, uh, Jesus should always lead out. Um, and uh, so today, as we walk through this month, today we come to an area of, that is an idol for most of us. And I can be the first in line to tell you it becomes an idol in my own life uh, at times. And that is the idol of control. Control. Now, don't look at them or point at them, but do you know anybody that can put an idol of control in the situation? It, it could be small things. It could be big things. It could be, I want the remote in my hand when I'm sitting in the living room, right? Amen, anybody? <laughs> um, you know, it, it could be the idea, I've, I made a joke last week about the toilet paper. It's got to go over, not under. Uh, you know, if, if you share toothpaste, uh, you can get in a fight over how in the world are, are you squeezing the toothpaste? You're supposed to roll the toothpaste. Like there's all kinds of things. It, it could be, I told you a few months back that I, if I shave on the wrong side of the bathroom, you know, my wife lets me know about it. You know, that's disgusting. Take care. <laughs> so control, right? We all, we all want a sense of our space, our stuff. And, uh, what happens then when we have an entire population in the Western world, the most advanced country in the world, the most wealthy country in the world, you've grown up in it, we've all grown up in it, and we've got these great aspirations and we want control of our own space, and then every couple of years, every four years in particular, you realize half of these people don't think like I do. Half of these jokers want an entirely different country than I do. And, and your feelings of control come out in, in what you feel is righteous indignation. How can they even think that way? And every year when you see the results and you see the numbers, you realize that we live among a people that are divided basically in half. And, and what is it about me in that moment 
And what is it about my relationship with God in that moment when I don't have control in a very big way over my own outcome? What's going to happen to me? And as I, as I prayed through this and as we look at the scriptures in, in a moment, you'll see it. But I remember that it, in, when President Obama was about to come into office, I remember my, my conservative friends losing their mind. They're like, this is going to be the end of America. Then I don't know if you realize it, but we're still here. We're good. But back then, it was like all my conservative friends were just like, this is it. And then about four years ago, Trump gets in, and like the yell hasn't stopped. Like it's just the, the, the anger, the rage, the, the bitterness, the vitriol, it just hasn't stopped. And, and no matter which side that you might be on, you can find this disturbing, this lack of control. You know, I just wish things would be done my way. And we all, we're all guilty of it. The scripture says in the book of James that, that why do you have fights and quarrels among you? Isn't it that you're not getting your own way? He just boils down argument, fight, debate down to, isn't it just that you want your own way? And so what does it look like for me as a Christ follower when I realize that I'll be living in a world that half of my fellow citizens believe should be different than the way that I want it to be? What, what does it say about me going into that? How I post, how I react, how I think, how I debate, what I discuss? What does it say about me. How about my own blood pressure? Anxiety and stress and, and anger. And there, there are cities that are boarding up entire downtown districts right now because they're worried about the outcome of an election. What does that say about us as a people? What it really says is that no matter what happens this week, half our country is going to be hurting and in mourning and frustrated. And half of our country is going to be elated and thinking this is the greatest thing ever. But before we get there, before we see that, I think it's a great moment of tension for each of us to just stop and just go, wow, what does that feel like right now? What does it say about my spiritual life in this moment before I know? When, when all controls are about to be taken off and I'm going to be sitting and watching the news on Tuesday night. And maybe Wednesday night and Thursday night and Friday night <laughs> and two weeks from now watching the court case, who knows. But before we get there, is there not a learning opportunity for us to say, Lord, teach me about something that I can take well after next month. Teach me about as a Christ follower, what does it say about my desire for control? We've gone through the Enneagram, and as you know, in the Enneagram, many of you have discovered that as a part of your personality, control is a huge deal. Control is a big deal. And so apart from politics, you can look and just go, man, I, I need this. I, I need to see what the scriptures have to say. So in Genesis chapter 13, I want us to turn there and, and uh, be able to read together. Genesis chapter 13. And, and we're coming to this place, this is Abram, this is a story of Abraham. Abram, at the time he was called, and, and God had made a promise to him. And God had said, you know, I got, I got your back. I'm going to make your descendants as powerful or as, as plenty as the, the sands in the sea, the stars in the air. I'm going to make your descendants plentiful. Now, he's 75 years old. He's like, my descendants? 
I don't know if you know how this whole thing works biologically, but I'm like 75 years old. And, and so he, he's like, hey, I got to trust God. So Abram's coming along. And we come across this, this place with Abraham and Sarah in, verse, uh, in chapter 13. Now, in chapter 12, there was a lie. If you're interested, you ought to study that about the idea of, uh, uh, about lying. Um, but that's an interesting story in Genesis chapter 12 with Abram. Essentially, he went in and said, hey, uh, these people are going to kill us if they find out that we're married. They're going to kill me, and they're going to take you as, as, your, as a wife. You know, these guys are going to say, I'm in the way. And so the best way to be able to have a relationship with you is if you just kill off the husband. And so if you read chapter 12, what happens is uh, Abram's like, hey, uh, I just need you to tell them that I'm your brother. And so they go in, and, and you could see in, in chapter 12, Pharaoh's like, hey, you know, she's, she's a cutie. And, and, and they, she goes, well, hey, this is my brother. And so they start to lavish him with gifts, the idea of a dowry, the idea of a blessing, like, hey, how about we, you know, do you mind? And what happens is, is there ends up being uh, uh, plagues, essentially, on Pharaoh. And to where he's like, hey, get out of here, you know. I didn't realize you guys were together. So they move along, and we're in Genesis 13, and they move along, and, and it says that there's a lot of wealth, that essentially Abram and Lot are traveling together. Now, Lot is Abram's nephew, and as they're traveling together, they have, they have like a circus following them of, of, of animals and livestock and cattle and, and, and you know, um, uh, men and women servants and everything with them. So there's, they're just walking through this vast area. And what they're noticing is that, man, the land around them is really not enough to maintain all of the people and all of the livestock that are walking with them. And so as they're walking away from this Pharaoh, as they're walking away and they've turned away, they're, they're realizing, man, we've got to separate. Like there's just too many people, too much stuff all in one area. And so here's what happens. Abram comes up on, in verse 1. It says this, so Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into Negeb. And Lot with him. You see, I was reading some commentary on this passage, and they were describing the differences between Abram and Lot. And up until this point, there was one person in this story that had heard from God, and it was Abram. And then there was, there was a lot of people that came around him, and Lot was one of them. And so there's this real distinct, at the very beginning, there's this real distinct question about what their motives were and who were they following. And I just think that in our own lives, we always have to check that because it could be a family friend, it could be a preacher, a church, it could be a, a, a religious group, whatever it is, but who are you following? And what we notice here is that, that, that one had a direct word from God. They, they, they heard from God about their uh, calling and what they want, what God wanted them to do. The other was following the leader. And so the question that you have to ask is, do you trust in leaders or the God of leaders? Do you trust in leaders or the God of leaders? You see, following a leader is not a terrible thing. Paul talks about that in the New Testament. Follow me as I follow Christ. The idea that, that you should look up to leaders and leaders should lead you the right, right way. It also says, hey, look at the lives of leaders and make sure that their lives line up with the scripture. So the idea of following a leader isn't terrible, but the question is, do you follow leaders or do you follow the God of the leader? Now, Lot's following along with Abram because Abram heard from God and Abram was, 
was listening to God's voice. But Abram followed God, Lot followed Abram. This becomes important to understand in the story in a moment. Abram was trusting God to fulfill his end of the bargain and to do what he said he was going to do. And so as they're walking, they come up to this, this crest, this place where they can overlook the land. And Abram's understanding something about the character of God. God is a covenant God, not a contract God. That means you can trust his promises. God is a covenant God, not a contract God. You have to understand that because this is, this, when you look at the, the, the whole of Scripture, the, the covenant was between Abram and God. And God said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make your seed plentiful. I'm going to take care of you. And through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. All through you. And people that bless you are going to be blessed. And people that curse you are going to be cursed. But I'm going to do that, says the Lord. And so Abram is walking, believing with his confidence, not in a person, not in what he's been told, not in what some leader told him. He's walking in the confidence of God himself and what God has to say about his life. Many of us, we found ourselves for too long or sometimes we fall in and out of this pattern, but we trust what other people have to say about our lives. Instead of talking with God ourselves and studying the scripture ourselves and understanding what God wants for us ourselves. But Abram is marching. It's so important to understand. He's marching because what he's about to do won't happen. It can't happen if you're just trusting in man and if you're just trusting in what you could see. He's marching with the confidence that God has said, I will do this. How many promises of God are in Scripture that you genuinely can say are for me today, present for me? It, it, and, and how many of those are we not even understanding in our day-to-day lives? We're making decisions. We're making moves. We're questioning things. We're angry. We're bitter. We're sad. We're, we're frustrated. We've got all this stuff going on. But how many promises that are in the Scriptures that apply to you are you not even processing through in your decision-making? I want you to see before this happens, before this next move happens, Abram's coming into this understanding. I know God. I walk with God. He's given me his promises over my life. And it's because of that that he is able to make the decisions he makes. You see, many of us, we, we, we rely on peers or politicians to give us promises. We, we, we hear what people say, and, and every time, in, in political language, each time we just go, well, I don't know if they'll even do what they say they're going to do. And it leaves us discouraged and jaded. And, and, if, and it, the reality is, is that in most states in America, there's maps you can Google, in most states in America, the non-voters, the eligible people that could vote, who don't vote, if they were voting for a candidate called nobody, nobody would win all across America, save about five states. Why? Because there's so many people that for so long have just grown jaded to this idea that people don't keep their promises. People don't keep their promises. Then you add in things like divorce. You add in things like, like parental turmoil. Even in homes that stay together, you've got kids that just look and just go, man, my parents aren't keeping their promises. I can't trust anybody. But there's something different that happens when you learn that you can trust God Almighty. You begin to walk different. You begin to approach the world different. You have a unique confidence that doesn't seem to make sense. 
And this is what we're seeing. It makes all the difference in the world. Am I following God or am I following people? This week, as your preferred candidate comes forward and Tuesday night, you're going to find out this person or that person's now in charge. And by the way, there's like 30,000 federal jobs that are on the line this week. So in our area, in Maryland, there's a good chance that you know some contractors or you know some employees, that their livelihoods really do depend kind of on, on what happens next. And in the midst of all of that, do I follow God or do I follow people? Am I hanging my hopes and my future on who wins an election or who's in the school board or who's, who's paying the bills? Or, or am I dependent on God Almighty and say, you know what, through all things, Romans 8, 28, he promises the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so regardless of what happens, am I confident in the Lord? And again, you could apply this to everything, not just politics. In fact, you should apply this to everything in your life, not just politics. Every fight, every squabble, every job opportunity, every time somebody loses a job, every time somebody gets sick. And this, these moments when we feel like we're out of control, those are the moments that we need to turn to this principle more than anything else. Am I following the Lord or am I following people? So now this is important. This is kind of the crux of the story. So Abram's walking along and he's got Lot and he's, he's, he's realizing something. It says this, now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. So he's loaded, right? And he journeyed from Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai and to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So he goes back to this place, this place of altar. He begins to cry out to God. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen, herdmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At the time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So you have this massive army of people coming across. And some of them were team Abram. Some of them were team Lot. And as they're coming across, the herdsmen were fighting it out. Now, Lot and, and Abram, of course, they're relatives. They love each other. It's, it's Uncle Abram. It's, it's nephew Lot. And they're cool. But their people are squabbling. And so two camps start to form. And two camps are starting to fight. And Abram seeking the Lord. Look what he says in verse 8. And you can't do this if you're relying on your own circumstance. Look at verse 8. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we are family. We're kinsmen. We are family. Right? And, and so he's like, hey, there's no reason to be at, a, at each other like this. Verse 9, look at this. Look at this. So important. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. If you want to take the right hand, I'll go to the left. What is, Abraham, what is Abraham doing in this situation? He's giving up what? Control. Now, he's the boss. He's the shot caller. 
He's the godfather of the situation. He could be like, you know what? I'm the man, and your herdsmen better get it together, or they'll become my herdsmen. Right? He could have in the flesh tried to pull rank. He could have in the flesh tried to say, I'm better and I'm above. He could have said all these other things. He could have looked out and said, you know what? I've been, I've been monitoring the land, and I think I'm going to go over here, and you better get out of my way. There are so many ways in the flesh Abram could have handled this situation. But because he heard from the promise of the Lord, because he met with the Lord, because he went to the, 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 the setup, the temple that he had made, the altar that he had made, and he spent time with the Lord, he comes back and says, you know what? I don't follow the people of the leaders. I follow the God of the leaders. And my God's got my back. Whether you pick the left side, whether you pick the right side, my God is good. And my God has made a promise. He's made a covenant. And when God makes a covenant, it's not a contract. It's not dependent on if I go to the left, he's going to bless me. If I go to the right, he doesn't. No, no, no. When God makes a covenant to you, when he makes a promise of what he will do, he follows through and his integrity is on the line. And that's the reason that we can trust in the promises of God because he said he will do it. Now the challenge is that a lot of times you have human leaders and religious people that will sometimes put words in God's mouth. And you got people that will tell you, well, if you just buy my, my, my I, I sweat on this here napkin. And if you just buy this napkin for $100, you know, you're just, you could wipe this right on your forehead. You're going to be blessed, right? And, and people go, yeah. People try to speak on behalf of God and make promises. But, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the promises of God that are still secure for you and for me today. His character's on the line. Therefore, he will not deny his own character. And so when God, it's why understanding Scripture is so important for you personally. Not just, not just waiting for the person up front once a week to come talk, but you diving into the Word yourself and understanding like, hey, what is the Lord saying? What is still true for me today? What, how can I live my life? And if I live this life a certain way, the Lord Himself, His character's on the line that He's following through. He will not leave me. He will not forsake me. And so here Abram is, met with the Lord, walking along. He just had this run in with the Pharaoh that could have ended badly, could have been killed. He looks out and he's like, look at everything God's given me. You know what? Lot? We are we don't need we don't need to be squabbling. If you pick the left, I'll go right. If you pick the right, I'll go left. Either way, I'm good. How much better would we in America be? If every single citizen said, I trust in the Lord. And, and at the end of the day, the Lord's sovereign. He's in control. And, and right now, the Lord is in control of the people that are, that are in China. The Lord is in control of the people of Cuba. The Lord is in control of the people in, in Central America and, and South America that are dealing with murderous regimes. The Lord's in control in, in the, for the people in the Middle East today. And those are the ones that know Jesus, the ones that have cried out about Jesus, these Christians in these areas. The Lord's in control. There was a missionary this past week that was, I don't know if you saw it, but he 27 years old, missionary in, uh, uh, in Niger. And 
uh, north of, of uh, Nigeria, and he was held uh, taken captive. He was walking his uh, camels and, and things like that, and he was building up croplands. It's a very desolate area, and so he's trying to feed people and share the gospel. And he was kidnapped. And the flesh side of this is that SEAL Team 6 Americans went in and um, rescued him. One of the quotes was, they were dead before they knew what happened. I thought that was a pretty powerful quote, but they went in and rescued him in the middle of nowhere, this desolate place, this area that, that, that you and I could not point out on a map. If the United States government can look after one of their own citizens on a place of the world where you and I can't even find on a map in the middle of a desert, and they can go in and rescue. How small is our faith to believe that God cannot intervene in our situation right where we are? What are we thinking when we're just like, oh my gosh, if this other people gets in, all hell's going to break loose? What if it does? Is our faith only an American faith? Like, can I only have this faith that I have? Ask yourself, like, would my faith work right now in China? Would the faith that I have today work right now if I was underground and I couldn't worship in public? Would whatever I have right now, what constitutes my Christianity today, would this work if there was a murderous dictator that put out an edict and said all Christians should die? Would, would I constitute a good, strong Christian faith? Would I be able to say, like Abram, you know what? You pick it. God's good. So look what happens in verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes. This is the difference between following the Lord and following the leaders. Lot lifted up his eyes, and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere. Like the garden of the Lord and the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. So, so he looks up, Abram says, you know what, pick what you want. And Lot turns around and he's like, wow, that is a beautiful green valley. And since our problem happens to be that our herdsmen need to be able to take care of the, the animals, I need lots of crops. So I'm going to look over, hey, if you don't mind, I'm going to take that water source. I'm going to take all of the, the, the trees. I'm going to take all the greenery. I'm going to go over here where it looks to me in my own eyes, this looks to be a better decision. Thanks for the, the opportunity. And what did he just do? He was essentially looking at his uncle who had been walking with him and taking care of him, his elder whom he's supposed to respect. He's looking at him and he's like, hey, you can have the, the terrible ground. You, you can have the trash side. What do you do when you're out of control and someone else gets to make the decision? Do you lose your mind? Do you lose your faith? Do you crumble?
if you're jotting notes, if you don't get your way, can you trust that God has his way? If I don't get my way, can I trust that God will still get his way? Or do I believe that everything I want to do is always what God wants to be done for me? There's a lot of things in day-to-day life that, that a month ago on our facility discussion, the elders and I, as we sit down a month ago, two months ago, there's a lot of things where we would have said, yeah, this is looking good. And, and frankly, we talked this week, we can make stuff work. Like we can look down, we can, like, we can feed it, we can make this happen. And if all you're doing is trying to look in the flesh and see what you can make happen, what you can make work, You have to ask, are you relying on the God of the leaders? Are you relying on the God of the stuff, or are you just relying on the stuff? Abram left a choice to his nephew. Abram teaches us that outcomes do not depend on involvement. Can we trust God no matter who wins an election? So verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, The Lord said to Abram, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring will also be counted. This is the the covenant of God that Abram's living under. Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came settled to the oaks of Mamre, where at the Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. That passage that we just read is essentially why the Middle East hasn't been settled since the dawn of all we, in human history. That, that passage right there is the reason that this little tiny nation state in the middle of all of these Muslim states, this little tiny Jewish nation state continues to fight and they don't just pack up and move where they'll be welcome. That little spot, that, that little, go look at a map. That little, that little dot. You just look and you'd be like, that's the size of a fingernail compared to all the Muslim lands around them. That passage that we just read right there is the reason that those people don't move. It's the reason those people continue to, to, to try to battle and fight and claw and keep their, their land safe. That passage tells them that, you know what? All this you see, I'm going to give to you forever. That's also the reason that we find that Americans throughout history on both sides of the aisle have supported Israel. The idea that if you bless Israel, God blesses you. The idea that if you don't bless Israel, God will not bless you. And so for 200 plus years, our nation on both sides of the aisle have chosen to be a partner with Israel. If you're writing stuff down, write this down. Our greatest weapon against worry is worship. Our greatest weapon against worry is worship. How did this whole decision-making process go down? Abram went and he found the altar that he had worshipped the Lord at before. 
And it was coming out of his prayer time, coming out of his walk with the Lord, coming out of that situation that he turned to Lot and said, Lot, I want you to make the call. Why? Because he had just met with the Lord. He felt good, like, Lot, whatever, whatever, bro. Like, whatever you decide, God's got my back. I'm good. I'm okay. For those of you that are nines in this room, sevens in this room, like, this is your language. You're just like, it doesn't matter. Chill out, everybody. But that's, that's, he walked with the Lord. And in walking with the Lord, you look and just go, it doesn't matter, whatever. You pick the left, I'll go right. You pick the right, I'll go left. God's good. Our greatest weapon against worry is worship. Because he meets with the Lord, he, the decision happens. He's like, cool. He's walking along, the Lord speaks to him. He's like, hey, I still got your back. He's like, awesome. Let me build an altar. Let me worship. How many of us are worrying because we're not worshiping? How many of us are looking like Lot at whatever we can see in the moment and making all of our decisions on whatever that tells us in that moment? I don't know about you, but have you ever made a bad decision? <laughs> right? Like we know, it's silly. We know that we can make bad decisions. We know we can just kind of look down the spreadsheet and make a bad call. We know that's possible. And as Christ followers, why aren't we worshiping the Lord before we make these decisions? Worshiping the Lord before we, we get ourselves worked up. Why are we allowing ourselves to worry so much? Well, it's probably because we're not worshiping. You can't do both. You can't go to the Lord and be like, Lord, you are supreme. You are sovereign. You can do all things. Through you, I can do all things in Jesus Christ. I can survive tumultuous times. I can be up on the, the high horse. I can do all things. You can't do that and then turn around and be like, oh, what's going to happen? This upcoming week, half our country is going to lose their minds. In our immediate context, if the incumbent stays, most of our neighbors are going to lose their minds. Over two-thirds of our neighbors. As Christians, we don't respond to fleshly things. We don't limit ourselves to just what we can see in the moment. We're realizing that there's a God above all this. And if my faith couldn't survive in China, if my faith couldn't survive in Cuba, if my faith couldn't survive in the Middle East, it's not the problem of the dictators or the bad leaders we don't like. It means we're probably more focused on this world and the flesh than we'd like to admit. What's the cure for worry? Worship. Do what Abram did. Go to the Lord. You got an upcoming decision that you're insecure about? Go to the Lord. Your blood pressure is running crazy about the election? Go to the Lord. You're not sure who to marry. You're not sure if you could, could, should be dating. You're not sure. Go to the Lord. And at the end of all these decisions, you can get up and you can breathe deep and say, you know what? I've met with the Lord.
and he's got my back. Worship transfers the burdens from us to God. Worship gives us proper perspective. Worship helps us avoid the idol of self. Abram set up shop in this new area that wasn't as appealing. But when he heard the promise and belief of God watching over him, it gave him calm. So much so that he wasn't worried about water rights. He wasn't worried about the land. The scripture says he went and built an altar. In the middle of a land that at the time looked like it was a bad decision. He built an altar. Can you build an altar in the middle of your bad situation? Half of our church is probably going to need to do that this week. Knowing what I know about our church, about half of you are going to need to build an altar come Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. The other half of you need to stay off of Facebook and social media and refrain from gloating. And whether or not what you see next week is beautiful green grass or a desert that looks uninhabitable, either way, can I ask all of us? Let's build an altar. Amen? Let's build an altar. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this example of Abram, that his... What we're looking at is not that you wrote scripture for the election. That's not what happens. You wrote scripture for our hearts. And you've shown us through Abram's life that with a promise that depends on you and not man, we can be rock solid. We can worship without worry. And Father, what you've shown us is that if the outcomes around us rattle our faith, then our faith is not strong enough. And we need to lean in on you, and we need to hear from you, and we need to set up altars to you. We need to worship you. God, I pray right now for our church. I pray right now for our our nation. God, that, that Christians would be the ones who stand up and wouldn't be gloating, wouldn't be depressed, but would simply build an altar. And God, I pray that more and more altars to you would be built, less and less altars to government, And Father, I pray that as Christ followers, we'd be able to point to Jesus. Heaven is not a democracy. Heaven is a theocracy. Heaven uh, has a king. It's a monarchy. And so as a result, Lord, we can come and turn to you, and we can bow down not to the Democrats or the Republicans, but we can bow down to King Jesus. And we can trust that you have what's best in mind for our, our lives. And Father, right now we pray, we pray, God, that just as the U.S. government and SEAL Team 6 saw a missionary in the middle of the desert, we pray, God, that the people that are dealing with anxiety and worry and fear and doubt would realize that if the U.S. government can find one person in the midst of a desert, that the God of the universe, how much more can he find us in our time of need? How much more is the God of all the universe close to us? Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for knowing us. We thank you for shaping and conforming us into the image of Christ. And we pray, God, that we wouldn't just take salvation as a way out of hell, but God, we would see it as so much more, that we would see that as you form us into Christ followers, that other people might be able to see a glimpse of Jesus. And as people see a glimpse of Jesus, Lord, they can not look to to the servant, 
but they can look to the one whom we serve. And Father, I pray that more and more people meet Jesus because this group of people here, they don't get rattled. The Republicans in the room, the Democrats in the room, no matter what happens, I pray all of us build altars to you in the week ahead. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Can we thank God for his word today? Come on.